Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, our trusty vicar Daniel Golden. Each week we come together, we take a look at the upcoming readings to help prepare you for the Sunday Divine Service. Today we're going to be looking at the readings for the second Sunday after Trinity. Second Sunday after Trinity. Vicar, the gospel reading for the second Sunday after Trinity, Luke 14 15 to 24. Take it away, would you please? When one of those who reclined at table with Jesus heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Okay, here we have Jesus teaching us once again, and he is teaching us today um, about the kingdom of God, about a great banquet, about the gospel invitation, about the terribleness of making excuses. Uh, about mission and evangelism work, Pastor, uh, we need we need to sort all of these things out with regard to this particular text. And as I as I look at Luke fourteen uh, in context, we have earlier in Luke fourteen the parable of the wedding feast, and then right after the parable of the wedding feast, we have the parable of the great banquet, which is our text for today, and then right after the parable of the great banquet, we have the cost of discipleship. Those are the headings in the ESV. And then we have a whole bunch more parables coming in uh, Luke 15, one of the more famous chapters in all scripture. Um, What's going on here, and maybe a few words about the context of these three sections of Scripture, one after another, the parable of the wedding feast, the parable of the great banquet, and then Jesus teaching about the cost of discipleship. Well, it all is uh, 
one of those times when Jesus is in interaction with the Pharisees. In this case in specific, it's on a Sabbath day, uh, which would be a Saturday, uh, and he is dining at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, a high-up guy, and they're watching him, and Jesus heals a man from dropsy. Uh, and all these parables kind of flow out of that idea, what is good and what is right and uh, appropriate, what does the law do and why is it there, and these parables are dealing with that particular topic, uh, specifically teaching us that your rank in life, uh, your wealth, your power, your political party, uh, those things don't actually matter to God in terms of your salvation, but actually only one thing does, and all these are skirting around that idea and teaching us that um, in uh, various ways. Okay, so here in this uh, parable of the great banquet, we have the invitation going out and people making excuses so that they cannot attend the banquet. Is that the primary issue or the primary topic uh, the law is people making excuses and the gospel is that gospel call continues to go out even to excuse making sinners like you and me or is there something more going on well that's i suppose primarily what uh, jesus is talking about here but it's it has an issue of faith that's underneath it that we need to deal with. Uh, why is it those people aren't coming, uh, and why is it that other ones are? It has to do with faith, uh, which is a gift from God delivered to us through word and sacrament. And so we always have to keep that in the back of our mind when we read these parables so that we we don't think, I'm not saved because I'm making excuses, and I am saved because I'm not making excuses. We have to be clear that it's not our actions that save us, but rather it's the work of the Holy Spirit that calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies us. Now, we have two different topics um, with regard to the parable of the great banquet and the parable of the sower. Uh, Two completely different, I mean, it's the genre of a, a parable, but it's two completely different settings. But it seems to me that there are a lot of similarities with the parable of the sower and this parable that is before us here, the parable of the great banquet. In the parable of the sower, we have the seed that is cast. It uh, Some falls on the hard ground. Some sprouts quickly, and then the heat of the sun causes it to wither and die. Others grow, and things are going great, but then the cares and worries of the world choke it out so that it dies. It seems to me that when we have all these different excuses going on here, we're talking primarily about the cares and worries and anxieties of the world that choke us out so that we either can't hear or won't hear the good news, the gospel invitation. Yeah, I think that's a a part of it. Um, And it's probably something that happens so gradually we don't really understand it. I think also... This is um, this is teaching us how easy it is for that to happen and how important God's word is and heeding Christ's invitation is um, in, the, in that uh, that's how we're saved. I hate to take one parable and compare it to another one and put the two together when it's it's difficult to do that uh, straight across like that. Yeah, and I and I don't want to I don't want to commingle the parables. I just uh, it just 
there was a striking similarity there about the things that choke us off. And I think uh, the cares and worries of the world uh, fit into that here. Um, the invitation goes out. Come for everything is now ready. In the context of a wedding at that time, what would that mean? And in the context of the gospel call, what would that mean? Yeah, uh, well, this one, it doesn't necessarily say that it's a wedding, but it is a, a banquet, a feast, a celebration of some type. Uh, and this is done, this is a common thing back then, especially in that particular ancient society where you had oftentimes a patron uh, who you were on the same team as or whatever, and he would put on a banquet and invite all his people to come so that they could uh, feel important and special, but it was actually so that he was gaining prestige and power. And that's the kind of thing that happened in the ancient world, and that's what we have happening here. Key here is this, everything is now ready. And this relates then to the preaching of the gospel that takes place in the book of Acts when the disciples go out and say, now everything is ready. Christ has died for sins, he's risen again, and he's coming soon. And so everything's ready, come to the faith, believe God's word. And this invitation going out is a spoken proclamation. Uh, and that's that's clear. He uh, invited many, sent out a servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready. In other words, the word is being preached. A word is going out that declares that truth. And so we see that also in the church. The church always needs to be preaching that word and proclaiming that truth that Christ has done everything necessary to prepare our salvation. Can we equate the servant that goes out with the invitation to the office of the Holy Ministry today to parents, um, Sunday school teachers, uh, faithful laymen that are inviting and encouraging. Uh, how do we make that connection to uh, what goes on in the church today, Pastor? Yes, I, I think we definitely can see that uh, as the office of the Holy Ministry, as, as maybe even a better, simpler way to say it would be the work of the Holy Spirit attached to God's Word. Okay, I like that. I like that. Okay, so um, the great banquet is ready. He invited many. At the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, at the time of the banquet, everything is ready. I want to talk about uh, this is the feast of victory for our God, um, the wedding feast, the banquet of the bridegroom and the bride, Christ and his church, uh, can can we make some of those connections to uh, Christ, the church, the divine service, the Lord's Supper, that that's what the banquet is, or is that stretching the text too much? I think we can, so long as we understand why church and the divine service and these things are important. Um, it is because... That's where God delivers his gifts through word and sacrament. Baptisms are a part of the divine service. The Lord's Supper, the great banquet feast of the Lamb and his kingdom that has no end, is a part of the divine service. The hearing of God's word, while it can happen outside the divine service, is primarily done for people in the divine service, in the church service. And so uh, we can make that connection that the divine service is the place where these things are delivered, and therefore that's the reason it's important that we come to the feast. What about those who might say that the banquet is heaven? Um, 
Is that a contradiction to what you just said about the uh, divine service and the work of the Holy Spirit? Uh, or are those two connected uh, as we're looking at things like this in this text? Well, I don't think we can separate the divine service from heaven in the sense that the um, uh, way we think of it, uh, divine service is heaven on earth. I think that uh, there's a guy named Art Just who has a book uh, called that as well, Heaven on Earth or something like that. Uh, and yeah, so that's the reality. It's a book about the liturgy, yes. Yes. Um, when we're, we, we need to properly understand the definition of what heaven is. It's not a place up on the clouds uh, where angels play harps and we just kind of sit around and drink martinis all day. Rather, heaven, in its properly understood sense, is being in the presence of God. And so the place will be when we die in the presence of God isn't that different from the place where we are in the presence of God while we're alive, which is the divine service. They are um, the same connection is still taking place in both of these things. And so we just need to be aware of that as we talk about this. Pastor, that was beautifully and wonderfully stated. Uh, heaven touches earth in the divine service. We get a foretaste of the feast to come in the divine service. We are strangers here. Heaven is our home. All of these things come together with regard to this great and wonderful banquet that uh, we're hearing about in Jesus' words. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the second Sunday after Trinity. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the excuses in Luke 14. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We're privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln. Every week we come together at a program called Proclaiming the One. We take a look at the upcoming readings for Sunday Divine Service. We spend a little time, we try to, in all of the readings, but sometimes the uh, gospel reading or one of the other readings is uh, worthy of us spending a little extra time on. We've been doing that recently, and uh, today we want to try to hit all three of our readings because they're all really, really good. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make excuses for what we've done in the past or for what we've done in the future, but uh, what we're going to look at now in the second part of our gospel reading, the parable here of the great banquet, is people who make excuses. And let's be honest, folks. Don't all of us have an advanced degree in excuse making? Sometimes when we make excuses, we are we're really giving an honest explanation for what's going on. Sometimes. Most of the time when we are giving excuses, we are justifying ourselves. And self-justification comes natural to every human being. 
you, me, the whole world. And that's why this particular parable is so significant and so important for us today. Uh, Pastor Moline, have I, um, have I overstated the situation? Am I, am I bursting with hyperbole here? No, um, every human being is an expert self-justifier, and this is the thing that our old sinful nature is very, very good at that needs to be daily drowned in the waters of holy baptism, and we do it even without realizing that we do it. Um, you know, my kids, uh, you know, say they they do something that's naughty and they get caught they always come up with some self-justifying excuse, right? Well, it happened because of this, or maybe this happened, or it wasn't my fault. My they did this. My sister said it was okay. Right. My brother did it last week. And in all these cases, what they're actually doing is excusing their own actions. And we all do this. Now, the trouble with that is, is when we excuse our own actions, then we also are excusing our own sin. And if we're excusing our own sin, then we also have no need for Jesus. And everything that he's done doesn't count for us. The best thing we can do is to speak the truth, uh, to confess the truth, what Scripture says, and say, I am a sinner. This is how. You're right. The thing I've done is wrong, and only the blood of Christ can forgive me and deal with this. That's letting Christ be our justifier instead of ourselves, and it's very hard to do that. All of us, even uh, us respectable clergy people on the radio, are experts at self-justifying, and we do it all the time. Chief of sinners though I be, thank you vicars worse than me. See, now, that is how many of us, in reality, live our lives. We pay lip service to the fact that we are poor, miserable sinners, and at the same time, we're always looking for somebody to compare ourselves with, um, not God, who is holy, 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 but somebody that we can compare ourselves with that we think makes us look good, and that's what always happens. We see this in politics, right? Um, the the people that are destroying property right now in riots, that's what they're doing. They're self-justifying. We have the justification to do this because of what happened somewhere else. The uh, people in Congress do this all the time, right? I voted this way because of this or that. Um, it happens all the time. Every person, every political party, every sinner that lives in this world, they self-justify their own actions uh, in some way, shape, or form. Okay. Well, in our text here from Luke chapter 14, we have this wonderful gospel call that goes out. Everything is ready. The Son of God, the promised Messiah, is here in the flesh doing his work, forgiving. Uh, uh, he's doing his salvation thing. Promises made, promises kept. This gospel call goes out, and uh, sadly, verse uh 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. And I think that uh, that speaks very, very well of everything that we've been talking about because we are all alike with regard to the excuse-making business. Now, we have three specific excuses that are made here. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Verse 19, and another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So we have three, let's face it, pretty good excuses. 
you know, uh, we're talking about work. We're talking about property. We're talking about family, marriage. Um, and they're so polite. Please, please have me excused. Uh, pastor, you've got that look on your face. You've got that grin on your face with, uh, with regard to these particular excuses or whatever. Um, aren't these legitimate excuses? Well, what's the, what are they excusing themselves from? And that's where be where we need to deal with this. They're excusing them, excusing themselves from the banquet of this great master, or if we're to take the parable to its, uh, heavenly meaning, they're excusing themselves from the divine service, from the place where God is, or from heaven, like we talked about in the first segment, um, from being where God is giving his gifts. And what they're essentially saying is these other things are more important than what God's gifts are. There's the problem, and that's a faith issue, and it confesses what they believe about God's gifts, and it confesses what they trust from God, that they don't fear, love, and trust him above all things, but rather, I need to have this field so that I have enough food to uh, feed my family. I need to have these oxen so that I can plow this field. I need to have this wife so that I can make my family uh, and and take care of it. Um these things are not more important than God's gifts because what happens in the long run, right? A hundred years after this parable, what good is that field going to do that man? Somebody else owns it. What good are those oxen going to do 10 years later? They're, they're already dead. Hamburgers, uh, right? Uh, or, uh, yeah, uh, oxen burgers. Oxen burgers. Uh, and even the wife, right? And wives are very important, and they're a gift from God just like husbands are. This is a, a good gift from before the fall into sin. But will you be in heaven because of your spouse? No, you only, won't. Only because of Christ. Only because of Christ. And so there's the ranking system, right? If we're actually ranking these in eternal importance, divine service, the place where God gives his gifts, the banquet feast, that's the most important thing. It sounds to me, uh, and uh, maybe I'm hearing you wrong, Pastor, but it sounds to me like this is a parable about the first commandment. Is that, uh, is that a way to, a lens to look at this parable through? I, th- I think it is, um, and that's the way that we need to examine it in our own lives as well, right? So these we're, we're in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I know we're Nebraska's a farming state, but really Lincoln isn't, right? Um, let's maybe add some things in here that would give a good comparison for us. I can't make it to church because I, I my kids have a soccer game. I can't make it to church because um, their Nebraska game was a night game, and I stayed out late and... Uh, drank too much, uh, need to sleep in. I can't make it to church because I have to work on Sunday, right? We have all these excuses that we make why we can't get to church, and all of them confess something about what is most important in our life, about what we love most, about what we fear most, and about what we trust most. And anytime we're putting things above God, that is confessing that we are sinful people, and that's what we need to realize and that's where we need to make a good confession and say, I, a poor, miserable sinner, sin in this particular way. And then true repentance, uh, forgiven by Christ, we seek to do better in the future. I think, I think you said that extremely well, Pastor. The, uh, 
the gift of a job, the gift of property, the gift of a spouse, the gift of a family. All of these things are gifts from God. Thanks be to God yeah. for the gift-giving nature. But we can take any gift and turn it into a false god or a false idol or use these gifts of God as an excuse to not hear the word of God, to re not receive the gifts of God. And that's when these gifts of God become sinful. When we let these uh, things become excuses that get in the way of receiving the gifts that God has intended for us. And, and God is not happy with that. The parable says the, uh, the, the master of the banquet is angry. What are we to make of this? Uh, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And then when that's done, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. How, what, are, what are we to look at that, Pastor? Um, you know, when we hear that word compel, a lot of times we see kind of a forcefulness, like making someone do something against their will. And that's, that's absolutely contrary to the gospel call. So what's happening in this part of the parable? Well, yeah, um, we have to understand then the parable picture here just a little bit too to get to that, where there are these people that are the patrons of this guy, and they're the ones expected to be at the banquet because they are the patrons. They're kind of the uh, compatriots of these folks. Um, and so they should be there because they work together and they benefit mutually from one another. And so when they don't come, the question is, is anybody going to come? Is it, uh, or, or is all, are all people left outside the banquet feast? And the answer is given here by Christ. No, this invitation isn't just for those that we expect to be there. It's for everybody, uh, even the people who are poor and lame and blind, the people that maybe we don't uh, think about being as important or whatnot. Uh, and then also those people out on the highways and the hedges, the people that are the out-of-town folks, right? And the word here for uh, compel them uh, in in the... Uh, in the Greek, it is um, a, a little different, right? Uh, let me make sure I get the word right. Anakazo. Yes. Um, anakazo, which is to force, urge, or compel, and it's an imperative. Uh, and so it is... Plead? Yes. It's Plead, like beg? We're, we're going to go out and we're going to make sure the banquet is filled, and we're going to make sure that's the case. And we're going to get anybody who will come. And that's the way then that the kingdom of heaven works. And to, to apply it to them then, is the word of God just for the Jewish people that we expect to be God's chosen people? No, if they're making excuses, they're not brought in. But it is also then for all the rest of the people that are outside, the unexpected ones, the people who are Americans or Europeans or Africans or Asians, you know. Canadians? Well, you know, let's not get carried away. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yes, even Canadians. Even Canadians. Oh, yeah, um, sure, yeah, don't you know. And that's the, that's the crazy thing that I think maybe this is a good message for us to say right now is in Christ's eyes, everyone is invited. Everyone has equal status. Everyone is beloved. Uh, and we can make excuses, right? But that doesn't change the fact that God wishes every person to be saved and to know the knowledge uh, of the Savior Jesus. And there is an urgency that goes with this message because we're not going to live forever. 
Christ returns soon and very soon. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the second Sunday after Trinity. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 9. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come and join us for worship. We are back. We are open. We've been open for several weeks now, and God has uh, richly blessed us, the uh, people of God working together in such a, a wonderful way here to make sure that more and more people feel safe when they come into God's house. We're, uh, we're following all the uh, directed health measures. We are um, getting more and more people coming back to church all the time. Been a great, great blessing, and thanks be to God for that. Also, we gather each Sunday at 8 and 10.30, Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can listen to any one of our worship services right here on KNNA 95.7 LP in Lincoln, Nebraska. If you're outside our listening area, go to our app across957.org, um, go to the website or download the app, and everything is kind of neatly collected uh, information-wise. Also, you can sign up for our daily devotions uh, via YouTube at our church website, goodshepherdlincoln.org, and uh, shout out once again to Vicar for his hard work in putting all that together. The Old Testament reading for the second Sunday after Trinity is from the book of Proverbs. We don't have too many readings from Proverbs, and so it always kind of catches our eye, catches our ear, catches our attention when we do. The Old Testament reading in the one-year series is generally picked because it has a connection with the gospel reading, and both are teaching the, the same basic theme, the same basic point. And so we want to, uh, we want to mine this uh, reading from Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. Vicar, please. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young woman to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. All right, we end there in Proverbs 9, verse 10, with a 
pretty familiar passage. I think many people know that, uh, at least a portion of that passage, whether they're Christian or not, because it seems kind of like a Ben Franklin encouragement, uh, how to be wise and live long. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Pastor, before we build our way down to that um, great, I don't want to say punchline, but the the impact verse of this particular uh, text, um, you cannot read the book of Proverbs without coming face-to-face with the word wisdom. And we have wisdom at the beginning, we have wisdom at the end, and then we have the contradistinction between one who is wise and one who is a fool, one who is wise and one who is simple. Um, We have all this stuff going on. And the key seems to be, how do you define wisdom? And maybe the real question is, how does God's word, especially in the book of Proverbs, define wisdom? I think the word wisdom in the book of Proverbs, you can always plug the word faith into that, and it would probably mean pretty close to the same thing. And we even see that then with that uh, verse 10 that ends our our, um, Old Testament lesson, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we again see the first commandment in that uh, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And so when we're talking about wisdom, we're talking about faith. And it's faith in God and the gifts that he gives and the promises that he makes, which is a result of the word coming to our ears. That's the wisdom that God is talking about that helps us understand what this proverb and this this, uh, parable is about. Okay, so if we do that, and I think, I think, ninety to ninety nine point nine percent of the time, you can just substitute the word faith for wisdom or a wise man, you know, someone who believes, and it just it fits. It makes perfect sense. Not a hundred percent of the time, but the vast majority of the time. Let's do that. Let's do that with this text. Faith has built her house; she has hewn her seven pillars. Faith has slaughtered her beasts. Faith has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Faith has set, sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, or faith says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. Walk in the way of insight. Pastor, that sounds almost identical to the parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 14, with the exception of instead of the master of the banquet, we have wisdom who has prepared this table and sends out her helpers with this invitation. Uh, am I close? Am I spot on? Where where am I here? I think, yeah, you can definitely see the parallels, at least even in the themes and the ideas, especially if you go past our Old Testament lesson, a couple verses, where we have the we have the poem of wisdom that's our Old Testament lesson, and now we have a poem about folly or foolishness that comes right after that that talks about unfaith. The, the woman unfaith is loud, seductive, knows nothing. She also invites people in, uh, but she does so deceptively. 
uh, and the people who follow her banquet or who don't go to the wisdom banquet but instead go to the fool banquet, um, they do not know the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol, the place of the dead. And again, this gets to the heart of the matter. What's the important thing, right? The field, the wife, uh, the oxen, the soccer game. What do those matter when you're dead? They don't. Faith does. And that's the only thing that then counts in the world that's to come. And that is, uh, it's interesting that you, you said it that way because much of the theme, this wisdom in Proverbs, authored, humanly speaking, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by King Solomon. And Solomon also writes the book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes is basically giving that message over 12 chapters. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Folly, meaningless, vanity. When you're dead, it's gone. And your memory is not going to be around very long either. So... Live your life in a way so that you live forever with God in paradise. And that's what we're talking about here as well. There seems to be a little bit of a shift uh, that begins in verse 7. Before we get to that, it, is, uh, it, it almost seems uh, very politically incorrect. Uh, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense... Come, eat of my bread. Leave your simple ways. Pastor, are these, uh, the simple and the foolish, whatever here, are these the same as the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, those who are out on the highways and hedges? Uh, is, that, is that the connection that we have here? Just pace, people that are outside the faith and people that you do not have a high status in the world? Yes, um, and I think in this particular case, this is, of course, Solomon writing. He's talking more broadly even than that. He's talking to everybody, uh, and that's the label that he's given everybody since he's the wisest man that ever lived, according to Scripture. Because uh, we see that then paralleled also in the poem that comes after this, The Way of Folly. She also calls out to the simple and those who lack sense, but she tells them to steal water because stolen water is easier and it just tastes just as good. <laughs> she tells them uh, that if you steal bread and eat it in secret, it, it feeds you as well. And so we have a call that's going out to everybody, both from faith and from unfaith. And yet you see the fruits that flow out of that faith or unfaith that... Uh, that should display to you which fruit is good and which fruit is bad. Excellent, excellent. Let's, uh, let's keep going here. Um, we have kind of a wisdom uh, example or lesson here where it says, uh, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abused, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate hate you, reprove a wise man, and he will love you. It goes on and on, you know, making the difference between a scoffer and a wise man. Basically, it sounds to me, Pastor, like the wise man is the one who will listen to the word of God and let the word of God instruct him or her. And the scoffer is the one who has already made up their mind, their ears are closed, and they are not going to listen to the Word of God. Is that an oversimplification? Um, no, I, th I think that's a, a part of the story here. And I think this, again, to go back to our first segment, 
we see the the wise man is the one who has faith and the scoffer is the self-justifier, uh, to, to kind of bring this all together again. And so the one with faith, when they hear God's law that says, you shall not murder, they believe that it's true, and they rejoice that they've heard that word and that God has given that message, and they realize that they have murdered by their thought, word, and their deed, and they hate that part about themselves, but they know that God also takes care of that through Jesus. And so they're glad that they've heard God's word that has called out their sin because now it can be forgiven. A call to repentance? A call to repentance. Oh. Now, compare that with the person who is the self-justifier, who says, God made me this way. Who are you to say these things about me, right? Um, are you the judge of me? Who? Yes. And so they're scoffing. And all this shows is that they don't have faith that God's word is true and real and that God actually can save. And so like we talked about, I think, in one of the other sections, now what do they have? Right? They've said, I'm not a sinner because they haven't listened to God's word. They've scoffed at it. And so they don't need a Jesus because Jesus is the sin forgiver by his blood and death. So what are they left with? And that's then, this is the section that's between these two poems, the poem of wisdom and the poem of folly. And so they're in the folly camp. And then we see again, who's at that, that meal? The dead. And so there's the difference, and that's why it's so important to let God's Word say what it wants and to admit that we are sinners and to be forgiven by Jesus because that's the difference between life or death for us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of faith. God says we should fear, love, and trust in Him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, above all things. That is true wisdom. We need to take another break. This is Proclaiming the One. When we come back, we're going to take a look at Ephesians chapter 2. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We're looking at the readings for the second Sunday after Trinity. In our first two segments, we looked at the parable of the great banquet, Luke 14, 15 to 24. In our third segment, we looked at Proverbs 9, 1 to 10. Pastor Moline did a beautiful job of explaining the wisdom and folly and the context of those words. In our final segment, we want to take a look at the epistle reading, and uh, about 15% of the time in the one-year series, there is an option with uh, one or more of the readings. This is one of those weeks. And so we're going to be looking at the epistle reading for Trinity 2. This is Ephesians 2, 13 to 22. Some may hear a different epistle reading on this Sunday. This is the one we're going to be looking at in our program. Ephesians 2, 13 to 22. Vicar? But now in Christ Jesus... 
you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Okay, we have uh, marvelous words from the Apostle Paul and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 2. And I think most people, when they think of Ephesians chapter 2, they think of the first 10 verses uh, of Ephesians chapter 2. By grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Um, The first 10 verses there are talking about how we are uh, all alike and that we are all sinners and we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and how we all deserve condemnation that uh, great rallying cry of the Reformation, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, uh, how we've been saved by grace, uh, grace alone, grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 10, the joyous response of a Christian. Uh, we've been uh, created in advance to do good works, which God prepared for us to do. So we have everything, beautiful law, gospel, gospel response in those first 10 verses. But Ephesians 2 does not stop at verse 10. And these words here are marvelous, and they are beautiful. And uh, there's no way in 10 or 12 minutes that we can do justice to all these words. We've got a six-part sermon series here. In Christ Jesus. Pastor, I want us to think about that phrase. I'm not sure how far we're going to go. In Christ Jesus. A little bit later, it talks about through him, the him being Christ Jesus. We have in him, verse 22. In Christ, either directly or indirectly says, I think appears about 150 times in the letters of Paul. Some of you may be familiar with the uh, Good News magazine produced uh, by Wallace Schultz and his wife. They have one entire issue devoted to all of the en Cristo, in Christ, uh, phrases, usages in the New Testament. Pastor, in Christ, what's the big deal? What is it? Why is it? How does it happen? Well, uh, To carry on the theme we've talked about in the other segments of this show, uh, this is another way of saying 
in the Christian faith uh, as Christians, believing God's word, having faith worked in us by the Holy Spirit that looks to Jesus alone for salvation, as the beginning of Ephesians 2 says, um, in Christ we've been justified. That's the faith. That's the thing that we're talking about. So when we're in the faith, we're in Christ Jesus. When we're outside the faith, we're outside Christ Jesus. That's what's going on here. And so to be in Christ is to have faith and to be in the kingdom of God. To not be in Christ is to not have faith and to not be in the kingdom of God and heading for perdition, the fires of hell. It's as simple as that. Am I right? Yep. Okay. So when we see this phrase, in Christ, God, through the Apostle Paul, uh, most often here in the New Testament, and here specifically in Ephesians 2, is teaching us what the Christian life looks like. How a Christian is to be, is to live, is to think, is to receive all of these things. Now, we have this uh, image going back and forth. Um, Those of you that are in faith, once you were far off, and now you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Who is he talking about that was far off and now he has been brought near? Is he talking about Jewish converts to Christianity? Is he talking about the Gentiles that Paul has reached out to through his missionary ministry? Is he talking about all people for all time who come to faith? Um, Who is Paul writing about here? Well, uh, to use the words of our other uh, Bible passages, it's those in the highways and the hedges, the blind, the lame, the weak, um, the people uh, who are all over the world. We really are one people, and Christ calls all of us. Uh, He calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies us in the Christian faith. Uh, Therefore, when you have gone, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. Uh, The disciples uh, left their home uh, and their cultural people, if you will, and they went to Greece, which is where, you know, Ephesus is. It's in Turkey uh, today, but that time it was a Greek colony. They went to Italy. They went to North Africa. They went to India. That's where Thomas supposedly died. They went to Europe. They went to Great Britain. They went to all these places, and they preached the gospel. And so when we talk about you who are far off, They really mean that, the people they had to go travel to see, and now they have the gospel, and now they are in Christ, and now they are a part of God's people again, all of them, and that's good news for them, and good news for us, because none of us are descended from Jewish ancestry, um, and uh, it comes to us as well. When uh, when Paul writes, uh, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one. And has broken down his fle- uh, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This dividing wall of hostility and two becoming one. Is he talking here about the divisions between Jew and Gentile? Or is he talking here about the division between those who are in Christ, those who have faith, 
the wise and those who are outside of Christ, uh, unfaith, the foolish. Who, who is he talking about here with regard to this dividing wall of hostility? I think it's both of those things. We have to understand what Ephesus is uh, at this particular time. It is a cultural center, a center of learning. It had a great library. If you are ever in Berlin, Germany, you can see the facade of that library. It's in the Berlin Museum. Been there, um, done that. Yep, packed it awesome. up and moved it away. Uh, and so it's a, it's a trade center. Uh, it's a wealthy city. The well-educated and elite people are there from all over uh, the Mediterranean world. And so he's talking all those things at once. Not only were they culturally different people, but they're also spiritually uh, of another faith. And now God is taking all those things that once divided them and making one people Christians out of that. I think we kind of talk about that a little bit at the season of Pentecost, specifically when we talk about um, what happened in Acts chapter 2. That's the same sort of thing that Peter, or sorry, Paul is preaching here as well. Pastor, we have a lot of divisions in our world. We have economic divisions. We have racial divisions. We have political divisions. We have a lot of these divisions that are really coming to a head right now. We're, we're seeing peaceful protests that sometimes break into riots. We're seeing all kinds of things with a, a national election coming up a few months away. Do these words speak anything to these kind of divisions that we have going on? We have a lot of dividing walls of hostility in our country and in our world. Is, is there any hope or any word from the Apostle Paul here? I think so. Um, I'm going to, I mean, he says, he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us one and broken down by his, in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, right? It's Jesus that unites us. And so the person that votes different than you in the next election, rather than hating them, you can understand that there's someone Christ has bled and died for and that they are completely forgiven in the blood of Jesus Christ, just like you. The person who is of a different um, ethnicity than you, you can understand they're a person that Jesus has bled and died for, and therefore you have a common um, relationship building block, if you will. The person that uh, lives down the street um, whose tree uh, is growing over your property and blocking your sunlight, right? You can understand that that person is someone Jesus bled and died for. And you can do this for every single person. The person you meet in the grocery store, the person uh, who pulls you over for speeding, the person who um, you don't like at church. If we start there and we realize that Christ's blood really covers every person and every sin, that gives us a place to start with in building a relationship of peace with that person. And that changes a whole slew of things for us uh, rather than feeling fear or hate or anger to start with. We can instead uh, understand how much God loves each of these people individually. Amen. Well said. Vicar, can you bring things to a close with the collect of the day for the second Sunday after Trinity? Let us pray. Oh Lord, since you never fail to help and govern those whom you nurture in your steadfast fear and love, work in us a perpetual fear and love of your holy name through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Sunday morning when you get up, read your paper, drink your coffee. Please pray for your pastors, and most of all, go to church. 
For Pastor Moline and Vicar Golden, I'm Pastor Poppy. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you again next week. God's richest blessings in Christ. <laughs>